Additional support for today's Heat Treat radio episode is provided by Heat Treat Today's ebook, Hydrogen Generation and Its Benefits for Heat Treaters. Download the ebook at www.heattreattoday.com slash ebook. No hyphen, just ebook. Welcome to Heat Treat Radio. I'm your host, Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today. Today, we're beginning a new four-part series on the latest revisions to the CQI-9 specification. If you want to learn more about this series or related content, stick around till the end of this episode. Now, let's get started. Here today with Justin Radzewski, who is the Director of Sales and Marketing at Controls Service Inc. in lovely Livonia, Michigan. At least this time of year, it's still lovely, right? Yeah, we've got a few weeks left, I think. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You got the three weeks of summer. So uh, <laughs> Justin is in, involved with, and what we're going to be talking about today is the new revision of CQI-9. So uh, Justin, first thing I want to do is first off, welcome you. Thank you so much for joining us on, uh, on Heat Treat Radio here. And if you wouldn't mind, let's give the listeners, viewers, just a sense of who you are, uh, what your qualification and what your qualifications are to talk about CQI-9 and uh, a little bit about uh, controls service, if you don't mind. Sure, sure. Well, um, obviously, uh, name's Justin Radzewski, uh the director of sales and market development for control service. Uh, I got my start with this company, I want to say around like 2010, 2009, somewhere in that area, um, working just as a sales rep, uh, making phone calls and, and, and quoting and work. And then around 2010, uh, the then president uh, of the company was making a presentation to the AIAG, the Automotive Industry Action Group, uh, the, the organization that publishes CQI-9, um, making a presentation regarding their standard CQI-9. We had some questions, some concerns, and they allowed us an audience. Uh, and after our presentation, they uh, inquired whether or not we'd be interested in um, assisting them with uh, drafting the, uh, at that time, the third uh, edition. Um, and we obviously said yes, and I helped support indirectly at that point. And then when the third edition was released, uh, and I think one of the things that people don't realize is that as soon as that edition is released, we start working on the next one almost right away. <laughs> so after the third was rolled out, it wasn't too long before the fourth edition uh, meetings started. And then I started uh, supporting more directly and, and participating uh, as a in a support role initially and then as a, a full-blown participant toward the end. Um, the fourth edition took about eight or nine years to uh, to make yeah. it all the way through. So yeah, it's a, that's crazy. It's an involved process, but uh, yeah, it was a. It was fun and learned a lot, and I'm proud of what we've uh, we've been able to kick out. Um, yeah, and then, good. as far as control service is concerned, we're, we're a, uh, an accredited calibration laboratory. We, we provide uh, on-site uh, various on-site calibration and, and pyrometry testing services um, within the the Metro Detroit area, Northern Illinois, Indiana, Ohio area. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Now, according to your website, you are an uh, the company is that is an ISO IEC 17025 accredited provider of process control systems, calibration, maintenance, and services. 
Yeah, that's well stated. So there you go. If your website's telling the truth, that's what you are. Okay, good. <laughs> so that that's great. Well, I appreciate it. So you, just to be real clear with the uh, with the listeners, you were in fact fully engaged in the in this Rev Four. We're calling this the Re- Revision Four, right? I mean, you wasn't you were standing on the sidelines. You were on the committee yeah. doing the work. Yeah, I, I myself, you know, uh, the the president uh, of, of the company was heavily involved with the third edition. Um, yeah. So he he was firsthand uh, in the trenches on that one, and then my participation started directly and you know hands on for the for the fourth edition. But the fourth, okay. Yeah. So you can point is you can speak with a good bit of authority, and that's great. Okay, so give us again briefly. You've hit on a little bit, but the uh, CQI nine. When did it start? Uh, a couple of questions. Brief history. Who owns it? Maintains it? Update. You already said that a little bit, but maybe right. just repeat that. To whom does it apply, and what's the scope? So the the best way that I I know to describe it because perhaps the most uh, widely known pyrometry specification is AMS 2750. Mm-hmm. Um, CQI9 is the automotive equivalent of of AMS 2750 by and large. There are some obviously some differences between the two documents, but in, in a nutshell, it's that's the comparison there. So that's a, a document supported by the AIAG, the Automotive uh, Industry Action Group. Um, they uh, they oversee the the publication of it, the the drafting of it. Um, they supervise the whole thing uh, through the uh, through that process. Um, and CQI nine itself, while well, it's CQI nine is is the number. I think officially it's called the Special Process Heat Treat System Assessment. Um, and then it yeah. kind of gets the 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 nomenclature of uh, CQI nine that applies to automotive heat treaters or anyone performing heat treat work within the the automotive industry um, and several processes uh, fall into that uh, that category of things um, and it can be from commercial heat treats to in-house heat treat to organizations like mine that support it, it applies to anyone participating in that effort of, of heat treat okay got it very very good okay and the reason let's move on to the reason for this rev uh, number four. So you said as soon as three was out, we started on four. It took us eight to nine years to get get done with four. What was the what was the main reason why we needed to abandon three, if you will? Well, the they they schedule these things out to be rewritten on on a routine basis, like like most specifications. They're they're reviewed on some some established interval of time. And the third edition, when that came out, the the biggest difference between the second edition of CQI-9 and the third edition was that the third edition removed all reference to AMS 2750. Okay. When when 2750 was in the document, it, it created a, a world of confusion and the the guidance and errata sheets that followed just were, were so numerous that they were, it, it made it somewhat of a difficult document to adhere to. Everyone well-intended wanted to, but it just, it complicated things. And so, one of the uh, ideas that, that we brought to the table was maybe we should just remove all reference to it and write our own specification. And so the third edition removed 2750 reference. And in doing so, it ended up being a, you know, a very well-written document. It was effective. Um, yeah. The OEMs, you know, your GMs, Fords, FCAs, they, they were happy with the results of the document. Um, and the prolonged active uh, interval of that document allowed us to collect a lot of really good data about what was working, what wasn't, what was confusing, where was additional clarity needed. It was 
the more t- the more data we collected, the more confident we were that the fourth edition would would truly make a uh, you know a stride toward better. You know, that would make yeah. it stride toward being a more effective document. So, yeah, it was it was a long longer than probably we would have uh, set up for you know review in terms of that that interval of, of review. But um, I think all in all, the the result there shows for itself that the it's 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 better than than what was there for the third edition. Right, right, and that uh, you you would say this Rev four is um, is a major revision, or is it just minor? I, I would think that. So the the way that the the, the rewrite pro, or the way that the drafting process works is that you get all this feedback from from the industry and you, you review it. Everyone that participates on that work group brings their notes about things that they've noticed or things that they would like to see different, and then we compile all those notes together, we review it, and then we establish a charter. And that charter kind of drives every effort there, you know, therefore, there uh, thereafter. And um, the major item on our charter was increased clarity, increased guidance, you know, make the document more clear and, and, and simplify it, make it easier for the end user to, to adapt. Right. And so largely the changes within the fourth edition are to that primary focus of our charter. You know, enhance that clarity, enhance that guidance. So there's a lot of things in there that are different, but the the difference there was merely to try to make it more clear, just right. syntax of a sentence. You know, you, you use a different choice of words. You know, because the one of the things that I've learned over the process is that this document, while it might be clear as day in English, when it translates to German, it's not. Or when it translates to it, you know, a, you know, a different yeah. language, you know, whatever other language, it, it's not as clear. And when you find out what it says in another language, like yeah, no, hey, that's not what we meant to say. Right. We got to think of a now another way to say it. So it's largely the changes are to increase clarity, but there are some real big changes uh, in that effort, like the, right. the heat treat system assessment questions, the the formatting that was completely revamped. Uh, we okay. changed that up dramatically, expanded right. it in some instances, uh, removed some that were redundant you know, in terms of the requirements. Um, so there are some big changes, but for the most part, it's it was a, an effort to enhance the clarity. So it's not a complete rewrite, but it is a different document. Right, right. It's substantial enough that uh, people need to pay attention, like, like you said. 100%. And I think uh, you and I talked in the past here before we hit the record button. In fact, I think a different day, you and I talked about the the addition of a number of process tables. Is that right? I mean, wasn't that a big, wasn't there a lot added there? Well, it's, yes, no, there was a, there was a, a, a one process table added to the primary document and it was process table I which is uh, regarding hot stamping. Okay. Process table I technically existed in the third edition of the document. Um, it was issued as an errata sheet in 2014. And I want to say third edition was, when was that document released? 2011. So yeah. it, was, it was issued like three years after it, um, but it was never part of the primary document. So issuing it as a errata sheet has its, its complications. You know, now not only do you have to make sure that your, you know, that the, the end user is, is aware that the document uh, requirements uh they have to be aware that there's an errata sheet also available to them, yeah. which complicates things. And it, it was it was very frequent for me to be out in my travels and, and talk to customers that were performing hot stamping and say, yeah, well, it's tough to tell what requirements in CQI9 apply to us because we don't have a process table. Yes, you do, actually. You do. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an errata sheet, and here you go. And, and they're like, you know, yeah. that, that, that caused frustration because, again, most people want to adhere to the requirements. They just – sure. I just want to know what the requirements are. When they don't, yeah. it's it's frustrating. So yeah, it makes it different. Okay, good. So let's talk for those who might not know or have not uh, been 
baptized into CQI9 in the past. What are the major, if you can break it down into three or four major sections, just just name name the sections, maybe a very, very brief description of those sections. Sure. It, it's structured very similar to the way of, of AMS 2750 uh, in, in that regard. You have four sections that divvy up a pyrometry section, um, thermocouples, instrumentation, system accuracy testing, and temperature uniformity survey. But unlike AMS 2750, CQI-9 is a system assessment. It's a process. It's a heat treat management system. So it encompasses more than just pyrometry, where AMS 2750 is a pyrometry specification, CQI-9 is a process specification. It encompasses everything. So that it also includes your heat treat system assessment, which is uh, three sections of questions uh, regarding your uh, heat treat um, operation. Then you have the pyrometry, which those four sections I mentioned, and then you have your process tables. Your process tables drive all of your requirements for your particular operation in terms of frequencies and tolerances. Got it. Got it. Okay. All right. So let's take some time today, then, Justin. Let's 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 uh, jump into a little bit of the section that I think you would probably say you're most comfortable with, right? The pyrometry, the pyrometry section. Is that safe yeah, to I w- say? I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Since this is what we do for a living, let's yeah. hope so. All right. So you you mentioned that in that section. Uh, there are, let's say, four subsections. So let, let's just run down through those. And if you don't mind, I'd like to do two things if we could. First, let's just talk about very briefly what are those major, what are the major changes in each of those four sections, right? And then, and then let's come back and revisit each of those sections with maybe some very practical advice. Okay. So, so let's do that. Let's talk. Let's talk thermocouples first. That's the first section. That's correct. Yeah. So the uh, thermocouple section had its. Uh, fair amount of, of changes made to, to that, uh, that portion of the document. Um, but they, they were mostly, again, for the, for the clarity aspect of things. I, I would say from a significant standpoint, one of the things that we had in the third edition that was rather confusing was in regards to grace periods. The only area in which a grace period was stated within the third edition was, in, was within the, the uh, thermocouple section, which is funny because it, it doesn't apply to, to thermocouples. Okay. So, in, the, in terms of, of CQI-9, it applies to instrumentation and system accuracy tests. And so that portion was removed and placed into a, a more appropriate uh, area within the document. An, another aspect of it was the uh, requirement for um, the calibration report to include uh, an accreditation symbol. It was already a requirement that if the thermocouples were calibrated by you know an outside provider, a third party, that they had to be accredited. But one of the areas that that uh, doesn't address is that if I am an accredited calibration laboratory and I'm accredited, my scope includes instrument calibration, you know, whether it be for for measure or source, that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm accredited to perform a thermocouple calibration. So instead of trying to overcomplicate the document and write something that says that the the calibration that I'm performing, you know, on the thermocouple has to be included on my scope, you know, and and, and create something more difficult than it has to be we decided to just establish that the accreditation symbol needed to be included on the report. And as an accredited lab, I can't place that symbol on a report uh, for, for calibrations that aren't part of my scope. So it kind of allows the industry or the, that portion of the industry to, to self-police a little bit. So that was you know, one of the more significant changes. Uh, another one was we made some ad- adjustments to the 
usage side of things. Okay. There was a requirement for um, that in, in lieu of tracking uses of non-expendable thermocouple that you could just put it in use for a, a duration of time and then that you could add unlimited uses essentially for that duration and then you could remove it from, from service at that point. However, that duration of time was uh, absent of some critical information, uh, that being for usage above a uh, the higher temperatures, the elevated temperatures. Right. In, the, in the usage uh, table there, it was like 90 uses for under, I think it's 1800 degrees and, and 100, or, or for over uh, 1800 degrees and uh, 180 for under. Right. And then you had right. six months for, for replacement interval. That, uh, that didn't, necessarily convey what we we're trying to do. So we added some usage in there for the uh, for the non-expendable for over that 1800 degree mark. And um, we also included RTDs, which are not, I, I come across them, but it's not yeah. entirely to come just because the temperature range that, that most things are, most of the processes for within the automotive heat treat world are, are, are operating at, RTDs aren't necessarily applicable, but they exist. And common approach for that I would come across at least was, well, they're not included, so I don't have to do anything. And <laughs> so it's like, okay, let's just include them so that we we wipe that off the, the board and know that you know you know any sort of temperature sensor it's critical to address. You know if that portion of the process is temperature critical. So All right, All right. Included RTDs, um, and then for the, for the most part, that was that was it. We we added a uh, some some caveats around resident thermocouples and and, okay. and their usage, which before in the in the previous one. Um, they were only allowed for a comparative method SAT. Now we added some caveats for uh, requirements um, when they're used for probe methods within the, Got it. Got it. the realm of CQ9. So okay. that's, Good. that's thermocouple. All right. So that's the thermocouple. That's one of the four sections under pyrometry. So before we go on to the next section, we'll, which will be calibration, okay, uh, let's back up just for a half a second. I want to make, because, because we're not hitting, we're not obviously in this, in this little, uh, podcast here, we're not going to hit on all of the details, but you and your team actually did a rollout, uh, webinar. Did you not? Can you tell, just briefly mm -hmm. tell the listeners where they can find a, a little more thorough description of the rollout on this thing because we're not going to cover all the details obviously yeah it'd be really tough to dive into everyone and some of the, the, the changes are so insignificant that it's 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 not worthy of a uh, discussion really if uh you know what i mean the uh yeah places that you can find it uh, the aig's website has a essentially like a page assigned to automotive heat treat and on that page they have some links to different content that we uh, produced for that rollout presentation back in uh, mid-september there's also a uh, page three of the document itself outlines the majority of the changes made, at least the significant ones made within the fourth edition. So there's a, a list three and a half pages long of uh, the different changes made. So there's there's summaries of, of those changes ex that exist in, in, in several different places, but one of them okay. being the document itself. Now, is there, did, did you not do a webinar? Is there a webinar? Can people actually <clears throat> see the webinar or is it a paid or? I've I've not seen the the webinar posted yet. I mean I've not checked in in a little bit, but the the intent was to post uh, a version of that uh, webinar. In our transcript of this podcast, we will we will look for it first off, and if we find it, we'll put a link to it in the when we put this online. Okay, so if you're if you're listening and you want to see that webinar, we'll if it's out there, we'll we'll put the link in. So yep. okay. 
Let's move on then, Justin, to uh, the second of the four uh, uh, thermo uh, pyrometry, excuse me, the, the second of the four pyrometry sections, which is calibration. What were the major changes? And we'll go from there. Yeah, again, with reporting, uh, the reporting requirements for calibration are updated. They're different. There's some some minor uh, revisions to the, the requirements for, for the calibration report. Um, but the, those sort of minor things can sometimes be easily overlooked. So I, I wouldn't ignore that. They, they are different. Um, the biggest, perhaps most significant difference within the instrumentation section is, I think it's June 2023, all uh, control monitoring recording instrumentation must be digital. So okay. very similar to you know the uh, the approach taken by 2750 in, in removal of uh, analog right. instrumentation, CQI9 as well is going right. to follow suit there. All right, I think AMS is uh, by 20, 2022. So yeah, you guys are an extra year, but uh, nonetheless, you got to get your start getting away from analog over to digital. Yep, yep. But for the most part, that's the the biggest changes within the, the instrumentation section. Okay, great. All right, so let's move on to. The system accuracy tests. Yes. So system accuracy tests, uh, again, reporting requirements are are updated. They they include some some new uh, requirements there. The illustrations within the uh, system accuracy test section have all been updated and revamped. I, I believe the old ones are that, that were in the third edition were very similar in nature to the illustrations that were included in AMS 2750C. Okay. Uh, and, and with very <laughs> and little we're on update. F, just to be clear, we're on yeah. F now on AMS 2750. Okay, so, yeah, that's a few. So they were they were well overdue for for an update, um, and we cleaned those up and removed you know non essential information, um, just to make it clear what it is that we're actually discussing there. Uh, also, we established uh, grace period as I was saying before for thermocouples. We established specific or grace periods that are specific to each type of or each method of system accuracy test. There are three different methods of uh, acceptable methods for SAT within CQI-9, um, probe method A, probe method B, and a comparative method. Um, and we established grace periods for each of those individually so that it's it's, it's clear and not, not a su uh, assumed grace period, so. Yeah, so and grace periods being, for example, well, the due date falls on a holiday, how many, how many days afterwards do I have, that type of thing? Yeah, so if if I if my uh, system actually tests were due on a on a Friday, uh, let's say it's they're due on the first, well, technically I don't lose my compliance on that uh, on that system from a system actually test standpoint for X period of days after the fact. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's yeah. to allow for what you said, like you, you have a you know a weekend coming up, a holiday coming up, you can still maintain your uh, compliance interval without having to right. shut everything right. down and stop right. production. Right, your wife's birthday or something important like that. Or, I mean, <laughs> for, like a, a, a practical application, say yeah. you, you order some test thermocouples and they're delayed. Uh -huh, so, now, right. so now all of a sudden you don't have the test materials that you need to perform the test or your instrument, instrument that you sent out for, for calibration got delayed and it's not back yet. It, right. you know, those uncontrollable sort of events don't prevent you from, from operating. Yeah, so you, you don't, don't a, lose your certification. Yep. All right, great. When we return, Justin will give us an overview of the main changes in his field of expertise, pyrometry, and he'll offer some practical tips from his experience as a CQI-9 auditor. But first, we need to talk about hydrogen, specifically 
on-site hydrogen generation. If your heat treat operation uses hydrogen in any way, or if you're contemplating converting to some form of supplied oxygen, you need to download Heat Treat Today's ever popular ebook entitled Hydrogen Generation and Its Benefits for Heat Treaters. This is a free download that we here at Heat Treat Today put together in cooperation with Nell Hydrogen. To date, over 250 industry professionals have already downloaded this informative 18 page ebook. You should too. You can search the interweb for Heat Treat Today Hydrogen ebook, or you can go to www.heattreattoday.com slash ebook, no hyphen, just ebook. Get it and learn. Now let's get back to Justin Radzewski and learn about some of the significant changes to CQI9 Revision 4 in the area of pyrometry, which of course is his expertise. Final section then under uh, pyrometry would be any major, and then we're going to come back and talk about the practical, you know, the practical, what you're seeing on each of these. But the last one would be uh, temperature uniformity surveys. Any major changes there? Um, there was there was a few. Uh, again, first off, uh, the reporting requirements are now different. They, they've been updated. They, they include some some new things there. Um, perhaps most uh, notable is the requirement for when performing a test on a, uh, a semi-continuous or continuous uh, system yeah. to indicate the soak time required versus soak time achieved. But that has to be included on the report. Technically, it, 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 it probably should have been there in, for the third edition as well, as one of the requirements are that you have to have obtained your desired soak time. This mm-hmm. just calls it out to the forefront, makes it a bit clear that you know that information on the report makes that, you know, assessing that aspect of things a bit more simple. Um, okay. Okay. A lot of added clarity. We added a, a specific grace period for for temperature uniformity surveys now, so that they are it's clear, it's not assumptive. Um, where I've seen it most often is within the, the hot stamping world. You have a uh, a single stack furnace with multiple individually controlled chambers that are all separated by uh, you know, insulation or wall or you know some sort of means of uh, differentiating them so that they're all essentially individual furnace systems, furnace cavities. Uh, we added in some clarity to say that, you know, it's it's not good enough just to test one of those chambers. You need to test all of them because they're all, they all yep. can be different. Perhaps the, the most significant change within the temperature uniformity survey section is to the uh, alternative temperature uniformity survey methods, testing methods. So okay. in instances where I can't perform a, a, uh, survey with with sensors being trailed in or I, I can't send a like a like a data pack sort of unit or a phoenix tm unit through that furnace system itself to, per, to collect the data for systems like that in the third edition there was a three paragraphs four paragraphs of, of, of information about what you could do right and it was not entirely clear what other aspects of the the section applied what reporting was required, you know, what sort of procedures needed to exist. And so you found a lot of variance in that testing practice. Um, and, and a lot of times I'd have customers that say, I don't know how to perform a TUS on it, or I don't think that I can, or it's not practical. So I guess I don't have to do anything. And that's not, that's not proper. They, they, yeah. It didn't, it wasn't clear that that 
that applied in instances where you, you couldn't do the other or like a traditional TRS. Right. So that whole entire section got uh, rewritten uh, from from ground up to include a structure that's very similar to the uh, to the other aspects of that of that TUS section structured the same way in terms of data collection and um, when you need to uh, perform uh, the, the tests, the, these alternative tests like property surveys and whatnot, um, the procedure that needs to exist, what needs to be included in the procedure, what needs to be included in the reporting, it's just clear, more guidance. So in those instances where the survey can't be performed, the heat treater at least has a, a level, a degree of confidence that what it is they are going to be doing is going to be up to uh, up to snuff that it's going to yeah. pass muster with their auditor that they're right, they'll be okay comply. with. It. There you right. go. Right. All right. Good. 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 All right. So this next section, then, just I want to just we'll back up and go all through those four sections again. But I just want to ask you the same basic question for each of those four sections, and that is when your company or companies like yours walk into other uh, an audit situation or not even an audit situation or maybe a prep for an audit situation what are the things that you're seeing practically on you know the thermocouple end of things the calibration end of things the SAT and the TUS so that's that's where I want to go so maybe just start with the with a thermocouple when you walk in what are you most often seeing and what do you tell people when i first walk into a, to a facility one of the first things that i'm looking for is how that um, how the, the flow down of information is conducted, like uh, how they're, they're approaching the flow down of information. Because in order for me to assess whether or not you're compliant with the document, I need certain bits of information. And it's not just me, anyone would need it. And so as I go through the, the, the like a plant and I'm looking for information um, on, on thermocouples, I want to know when the thermocouple was installed. I want to know uh, was it calibrated? What's the, you know, what's calibration certificate? Uh, what's the number of the calibration certificate that it ties back into? What's the location of that thermocouple and where it's installed? What's its purpose? I can't tell you how often it happens where I say, okay, what's the, you know, what's this thermocouple? Well, that's my control thermocouple. Are you sure? Yeah, no, I'm sure. Okay. And then you go to remove it and it turns out to be the high limit. Like those, those sort of things are, I mean, there are these like little Things that, you know, perhaps, you know, someone says, oh, well, you know, what's it matter? Like if, if one is a control or one is the high limit, you know, it's <laughs> especially if they're both in the same well and it's, you know, it's a dual element sort of thermocouple. Um, but it's, it's, it's important for a multitude of reasons. You know, like it's if, if you don't know that basic sort of information or, you know, you don't find that information to be important, what other sort yeah. of things it becomes like a mentality aspect of things. So I like seeing that sort of information uh, available and and, and, right. and and ready that you don't have to go digging for it. Um, right. So that's, it's, that's the first thing that, that I look for anytime I walk into a plant. And, and more often than not, I find that um, that aspect of things can be can be lacking uh, from, a, from a documentation standpoint, from an availability of documentation standpoint, or there's, hey, can I see the calibration cert for, for this specific thermocouple? Well, here are all of my certs. Okay, which one applies to that thermocouple? Yeah. And, and, you know, what I also try to convey is that, like, you know, the more difficult that you make this for me, <laughs> like the more or perhaps more accurate, the more difficult you make this for someone that's coming out to audit you or to perform this assessment to check on you, the more difficult you make it, the harder they're going to start scratching. You want this yeah, to be yeah, easy. Yeah. You want yeah. to convey confidence. You want to you know, convey that repeatability of things. And so I, I can't stress enough document, strong documentation and great documentation systems for easy recall availability of information like at the actual thermocouple itself is 
is such a nice convenience. And when someone sees that it conveys confidence. So right. outside of a, just a, a basic compliance issue, it's that, that support system for, for thermocouples because everything starts there. All of it right. starts there. And even from the basic of like knowing what it is you have there, like from, from a thermocouple aspect, like one of my closer customers, uh, our first interaction together, he called and asked for a, like a 30 inch long thermocouple. Yeah, and just make sure that it's type K. It's like, okay, well, I might need a little bit more information than that. You know, there's there's, there's a lot of, you know, what, what else can you tell me about it? Well, that's all, you know, that's all I have. Just buy me one. It's like, I mean, I have a, I have a binder on my desk. It's an inch and a half thick. And every thermocouple in there just about matches your description. Like, yeah. I need more. Should I just flip a page and pick one? Like, there's there's a lot of variants that can exist there. <laughs> and when you introduce variants, you have a uh, an opportunity to introduce variants in your performance of that system. So, consistency, repeatability, and, and ensuring those things on a, uh, on a on a perpetual basis is is critical. Right. So, things like insertion depth, length, diameter, type, calibration, where you have it calibrated. All of those things should be documented and and standardized, right? And that that documentation should be readily available to anyone that needs it, so that you can right. ensure that you're replacing like with like that uh, what was there before, if it was compliant, what you replace it with is also compliant. So the performance that you, you had in that system on, on on day one versus day 180, you want to be able to assess that variance in performance not based on the variables that have changed, like. Oh, well, are they new thermocouples? You know, are they in new locations? You want to assess it in terms of like those other exterior factors. That's why you call out thermocouples instrumentation and, and the like within Pyromas and, and CQI9. Right. So it's those things to me are, are, the, are, are really important. And they're the first things that kind of give me that indicator of what things are going to be like as I as I go through a job site initially. Right, right. All right, good, good. Anything else then, Justin, <laughs> under uh, thermocouples or shall we move on to calibration? Um, I, I think no. I think that, that pretty much covers it from from thermocouple standpoint. Just ensuring that you, you have solid documentation surrounding those things because it, it can it can right. be an overlooked uh, piece of equipment, but they are so incredibly critical. Right, right, yeah. right, right. And be able to easily access it and still confidence yes. in the the auditor, so they they know yeah. you know what's going on. All right, let's move on to calibration then. What you walk into some place and you're you're gonna <clears throat> check their calibration processes and whatnot. What do you what do you see usually? Especially when when the, when a, when a new addition uh, comes out or like a newer revision of a, of a pyrometry specification, the first thing that I that I typically go to is again just similar to uh, to the uh, thermocouple side of things. Is I want to look at documentation, and so if I have a new rev, the first thing I'm going to is or right, what are the new requirements for for reporting? I want to know what was on my uh, report yesterday and what needs to be different tomorrow, um, so that I can make sure that from a documentation standpoint. I'm going to be covered because that's what I'm going to put in front of someone. And that's the thing that they're going to evaluate initially. And so I want to make sure that the thing that's going to be, you know, that first impression, that it's solid and it checks every box that it's supposed to. So I, I'll review all of the instrument or I'm sorry, I'll review all of the reporting requirements initially just to make sure that I, my reporting is going to, right. to pass muster with, with an audit. And I'll be, yeah. uh, I mean, I, I will be, I'll scrutinize that thing up and down to the nth degree just to make sure that I've, I've got it to a point where I'm comfortable with it. Right. So that's right. that's where I typically start. And then um, just again, similar to the, to the thermocouple side of things, I want to make sure that I have a, a solid support system for my facility in, in terms of instrumentation. 
I know what instruments I have there. I know what's required of all of them. I know where I want them calibrated. I know how I want them calibrated. I know where they operate. You know, all of those sort of things. It, it's I, I find often, especially on like uh, new job sites that I, that I'll, I'll go to, you'll, you'll pop into an instrument and, for instance, they'll have offset in there. It's like, okay, what's this offset for? Well, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know. What was it the last time you had calibrations? Has this changed? You know, is this a value that changes? I don't know. Couldn't, couldn't tell you. <laughs> and sometimes the, the level of offset there, it's possible for it to be at a level that's that's not compliant with the document. Yeah. Um, without that documentation to support it, without, you know, uh, something calling out what it's there for, what the intended purpose is of it. So anytime you have that I don't know answer or, you know, it's, it's in someone else's hands, you know, like let's say the, 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 the provider of uh, pyrometry services that are out there performing the calibration, they're not aware that they have to, you know, go through, you know, some sort of approval process to change offset. Hey, the instrument's out. I'm going to pump in some offset and, and there you yeah. go. And in, in the worlds of CQ9 and, and especially within AMS, you can't do that. You, you right. have to. There's a, a right way to go about doing things and, and, and a, you know, and a ladder of things to, to climb before you can just go ahead and jump. So right. um, having a, a solid foundation of understanding of, of your instruments and, and, and documenting, you know, uh, the, the details of those instruments, having that available again and, and readily available to your team and for anyone that needs it is if you have that, the likelihood that you're going to be compliant and have a, a favorable audit in terms of your instrumentation side of things is going to be so much higher than if you don't. Right. So right. strong right, support great. systems, strong documentation as well. Good, good, good. All right, how about uh, let's move on down to the uh, system accuracy tests. System accuracy test is is often something that we encourage our customers to take on themselves because it's it's not an overly complicated process by and large. Um, from a third edition to fourth edition, uh, again, my first stop is that reporting. I want to make sure that you know whatever it is uh, that the data that I need to collect is going to be there at the end of the day um, and is going to be presented in a manner where anyone can understand it at a glance. I don't have to have a training um, uh, training session on how to uh, up or how to understand my reporting. You know, I, I want right. it to be very clear, very forthright in, in terms right. of the information that's needed. Uh, it's clear. Um, and then understanding the, the differences between the, the acceptable methods. You know, uh, probe method A in CQI-9 is, is most like the comparison method within AMS 2750, where you have a, a test instrument system alongside your process instrument system and doing a comparative uh, in terms of the, the difference there, calculated difference there. Understanding the math and in, in, in the order of operations there is essential because it's so easy to mess that up or, or forget how to do it properly. And one of the, the benefits of the illustration within fourth edition is that there we tried it very we made a very concerted effort to make sure that the the means in which that math is performed is clear. And okay. And, and how it's reported is is clear so that there's not too much confusion. Because the, the, the goal here isn't, aha, gotcha. You know, you don't know how to do an SAT. The goal yeah. is that you do an SAT and that you do it in a manner that produces you with a, a level of confidence that you're you're okay and that and everything is, is going to you know, have the best likelihood of repeatability and and, and, and uh, coming out as expected. So yeah, yeah. Reporting, again, critical. Understanding the math, also critical. And, and from a change within the fourth edition, the the only real thing of note, I guess, uh, in the third edition, it wasn't explicitly uh, called out. In the fourth edition, it's explicitly called out that the SATs only apply to the 
control and monitoring and recording thermocouples not does not apply to thermocouples that are uh, dedicated to the purpose of uh, over temp protection. So okay. that can be a nice break for for most you know that were thinking that they had to do it in the previous edition. So for the most part, we see the the act of actually performing it. Again, that flow down of information becomes critical. If I know how long my thermocouple is, the process thermocouple is at that process thermocouple. Say, for instance, it's you know identified on, on a tag at the thermocouple and it says it's 40 inches. Well, if I go insert my test thermocouple and it goes in 20 inches and I feel like I've bottomed out, the only indicator that I would have that I'm not bottomed out my thermocouple and aligned my measuring junctions would be that measurement at the thermocouple, would be an indication of how long it's supposed to be or an awareness of, of how long it's supposed to be. If I don't have that, I go up there and I drop my test thermocouple in and it feels like I bottomed out, cool, they're lined up. They yeah. could be you know, you know, dramatically different. It could be 20 inches off, yeah. Yeah, and in that case, I, I'm gonna go ahead and guess that you you would notice that instantly as, as you're, <laughs> you're failing that, that SAT, but you know, an inch, two inches can make a, a significant difference, you know, misalignment of, yeah. of junctions. Having an awareness of insertion depth of your process thermocouple, uh, length of your process thermocouple, and what's required of your uh, for insertion depth on your test thermocouple, is is critical to performing that test. And it's it's something that I I see lacking often when I'm out in the field assessing you know how you know my customers are performing them in in house. Right. Right. All right. Yeah. Great. And uh, finally, let's talk about what you're seeing when you walk into a, a shop or whatever, helping them get ready for uh, temperature uniform, uniformity surveys? Yeah, uniformity surveys, you know, for, for us, the first thing, again, I'm doing is I'm assessing that reporting requirements to make sure everything's up to snuff because that's the that's your your first impression, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that you're yep. going to convey to everyone. Um, the requirements within, within the uh, fourth edition that are of note that would be, require something to be done differently, for, for the most part, you're going you're gonna to find them to be very similar. The mm-hmm. thing that I'm looking for most is uh, the repeatability of that test. How like is one test to the next one? What is your means of collecting data and, and, and what is your you know response plan when that data is unfavorable? Having that predetermined so that you're not doing it on the fly um, can be um, incredibly helpful and, and, and very, adds, adds to uh, expedite that process of, of getting good test data there. Um, one of the things that I've, I've always recommended my customers doing is that before you perform that that survey, have some sort of pre-survey list that you go through of tasks that you want to verify before that test is run, just to make sure that you're collecting all the data that you need to collect before you perform it. So that in an instance where that test data, let's say, is, is unfavorable, you can go back and take a look at it and compare it against previous tests performed. And not have to be concerned about whether or not this test was performed differently than the one prior. Right, right. So yeah, consistency is the key. Consistency is, is the key. And, and again, there you know strong uh, documentation systems, understanding you know what the uh, operating temperature ranges are for for each system. You know uh, where your sensors are placed. You know how they're traversed. You know how to you know where they're installed at if it's a continuous uh, style furnace. There's so many variables to performing that test having a handle on them is incredibly important. Otherwise, the test data performed on, you know, on, on day X compared to, you know, on, on day Y is, is a meaningless comparison. And you want that value to be there to be able to compare them so that you can right. see where, where, where performance has, has varied or, or where it's different and, and have, have something pointing at where, where you need to go investigate. 
Good, good. All right, Justin Radzuski, thank you very much. Control Service up in Livonia, Michigan. Uh, I think this is going to be our first. We're going to have either uh, three or four of these uh, uh, podcasts. I think next time we'll either deal with heat treat assessments or we'll talk about the process tables some. So uh, those of you listening, uh, stand by and watch for that. Uh, we'll, we'll try to get those out as soon as we can. And uh, Justin, thanks very much. I think it was very helpful. Appreciate your appreciate your expertise. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, glad to uh, glad to participate. Thanks for for having me. You know, it's a, it's an honor to be on uh, on the show. All right, thanks, Justin. We hope you enjoyed today's Heat Treat Radio episode. Be watching for three more episodes dealing with CQI nine coming in December and January. If you'd like to learn more about Justin's company controls service you can go to www.controlsservice.com and if you'd like to talk to justin directly please email me directly and i'll put you in touch with justin my email is doug at heattreattoday.com we're always interested in new heat treat radio topics so send us your ideas Tell us what you find fascinating so we can cover it in a future Heat Treat Radio episode. And most importantly, if you'd like to be a sponsor of a future episode, please send me a brief email and I'll be in touch. My email, doug at heattreattoday.com. If you're looking for more content on the technical requirements of CQI9 or the recently released AMS 2750 Revision F, head over to our website, heattreattoday.com. We have two articles that will be of interest to you. These two articles are filled with expert input and tips on what is important to know in these two specifications. Additionally, on our site, you can find two previous episodes discussing AMS 2750 Revision F And in two weeks, a third and final episode will be released on AMS 2750F. Our expert for these episodes is Andrew Bassett from Aerospace Testing and Pyrometry. These are super informative episodes. Find them all by binging or googling Heat Treat Radio or by entering www.heattreattoday.com slash radio into your browser. And don't forget to join over 250 other industry professionals who have already downloaded Heat Treat Today's Hydrogen Generation and its Benefits for Heat Treaters ebook. Bing or Google Heat Treat Today Hydrogen ebook or simply enter www.heattreattoday.com slash ebook into your browser. This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Tree today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advance written permission from Heat Tree today. Jonathan Lloyd is the audio producer of this podcast and created and mixed most of the music that you heard today. See his professional work at www.jonathanlloydmusic.com. Thank you, Jonathan and Bethany Funk is Heat Treat Today's podcast editor. Thank you very much, Bethany. And I'm your host, Doug Glenn. Thank you for listening.